Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. I invite you to turn uh, to Psalm chapter 51. But we're going to continue our study. We've been in for about seven weeks now, I think, about psalms, which are essentially songs uh, that I believe we need to sing. In other words, we need to continue to hear. We continue to, to heed. We've been looking at them for quite a few weeks now, and uh, today we'll be in Psalm uh, 51. I believe we're going to be in the Psalms until about the end of March, so when we transition over to Clark, that is right on the cusp of Easter, so we'll be preaching a series getting ready for, for Easter. So that's kind of where we're, where we're going. Uh, today we'll look at uh, Psalm 51. If you notice the reading for this morning, however, that was out of, out of Samuel, which ties right into to this psalm. If you notice, uh, before we even read the entire psalm, I want you to look at something right at the beginning. Uh, many of your Bibles will have a, a, little, a little title there. Mine says, for example, Created Me a Clean Heart, O God. But after that, before it gets to verse 1, in all caps, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. I, I want to point out that that part of that that is scripture that is part of david's original psalm that's not a author later on just telling you what the psalm's about that is the psalmist himself letting you know this psalm very specifically was a psalm that david wrote after that event took place which we read about just a minute ago this psalm very much has to do with repentance forgiveness and those and those those kinds of themes and I thought it appropriate to look at Psalm 51 here right on the verge of, of, of what, uh, what many people celebrate as Ash Wednesday, which is really all about sacrifice, reflection, repentance, and, and a time of self-examination. And I, and I thought it would be appropriate to look at what uh, is, is one of the more famous psalms that is quoted uh, in many uh, different uh, places. It has to do with guilt. What do we do with our guilt? I was reading, uh, as I was looking at this um, text, I, I ran across a story about a man who wrote a letter to the, to the IRS about his taxes, and here's what he said, talking about guilt. He said, I haven't been able to sleep uh, because last year when I filled out my income tax report, I, I deliberately misrepresented my income, so I'm enclosing a check for $150. But he goes on, he says, and if I still can't sleep... I'll send you the rest of the money. <laughs> That's one way of handling a bad conscience. But I think David teaches us a little bit more than that. I believe if we look at this psalm, we see a pattern uh, for you and I to be right with God. After all, one of the most important things we can be is right with God. I want to go back and I want to talk through the story of David uh, and Bathsheba. And then let's go back and look at Nathan and exactly what he said, which I think uh, you have right there in the bulletin. and You can turn to it uh, as well. If you go back to Samuel, here's the story. I, we won't go back and read it, but I, but I believe I can share it with you. And, and many of us will remember most of it. David, first of all, as the Bible says that David was at home during the time when actually his men were out to war. One translation says that uh, David was at home during the, during the time when kings typically would be out to war. So first of all, David's not with his people. He's not out to war. He's at home. You find out that what does he see? He says he sees a woman named Bathsheba 
and he sees it from his house. He sees her, and he has these lustful thoughts. What happens in the story? Do you remember? David, he has the lustful thoughts, but then he acts on that. He calls for Bathsheba, who I can only imagine, here's the king of the country calling her. I don't know, and I think it's safe to say she didn't have a whole lot of choice in this matter. I think that's a safe, a safe, a safe assumption. She comes to him, and he commits adultery with Bathsheba. Once he does this, he finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant because she sends word to the king, I'm now pregnant. David's answer at this point is now he's going to try to cover up his sin. How does he do that? Do you remember? He sends the husband. He finds out uh, that uh, Uriah, you know, Uriah is this noble. He's, he's, a, he's a soldier now. He's a warrior. He's out fighting these battles. And he calls Uriah. When Uriah comes home, David tries to get Uriah to go in with his wife. He says, you're, you're home. Go, go to your wife. Go to Bathsheba. Spend time with her, hoping that this would sort of cover up his sin. Well, Uriah was so noble, he, he, he cared about his own men, and Uriah kind of says, yeah, I can't do that, king. I, my men are out there suffering, and they're out there serving, and I'm not going to go home to my wife when they can't do, go home to theirs. Well, David tries and tries, and I won't go into all the detail, but Uriah never goes and sees his wife. So then what does David do next? You know what David did next, if you remember the story. He, he sends Uriah back to the, to the battle, but not only that, he sends word, I want you to put Uriah on the front line. It even gets worse than that. He says, I want you to put him on the front line, and then I want everyone else to fall back away from him. David essentially orchestrates his murder, knowing that if you put him on the front line where all the action is and pull all this cover away, all, this, all, this, uh, all, this, all the other soldiers, he's going to die. And sure enough, he does. So then David takes Bathsheba as his wife. That is the backdrop for this psalm. It's important for us to see that. And I had us read what Nathan's response was because Nathan, he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I mean, you talk about a guy who's not afraid to do what needs to be done. That's Nathan. Uh, We we live in a world where where very seldom do you find someone who's willing to, to tell somebody sometimes what needs to be heard. Nathan didn't have a problem with that. And if you look at that text that we read, oh, Nathan, he's a master. Nathan, if he wanted to be profitable and make money, he could make billions of dollars today because he knew how to do something very specific. If you think about Nathan's story, about he tells David about this one man, he had all, he had all these sheep and he steals the one little ewe lamb, and what, what is David's response? Oh, he's angry. Nathan knows how to capitalize on anger. We, we live in a world where people make billions and billions of dollars on what uh, I was reading. Uh, Senator Ben Sass, he's from a senator from Nebraska. He wrote a book called Them. And in his book, it's interesting, he talks about infotainment. And he basically says it doesn't really matter what political spectrum's out there. People make lots and lots of money over, if they can get me angry about them over there, If I can get mad enough about them, then I'll keep reading the social media feeds and I'll keep buying the stuff and hopefully somebody will make lots and lots of money and they'll pay lots of money to keep me and to keep you mad and angry over something. And, and, oh, Nathan, he's a master. He sets up the story. And and, and David, he's mad at them now. He's mad at them. It's real easy to get mad at them. But then Nathan takes that story and he twists it. And he said, no, David, you'd be mad all you want, but you're them. You are the man. You're the man, not in a cool way. You're the man as in you are guilty. And that is what led to the next pieces of the puzzle, the next parts of the story. 
With that said, I want to read this psalm. Uh, We're not going to read the entire thing at first. We'll read it before we get done. But I want to read a few verses first. And then I want to talk about what I I think in this story, you you could categorize it several different ways. But I think the words confession and forgiveness and restoration. I think everything in this chapter will fit into those categories. Confession, forgiveness, and restoration. Well, let's read some of it together. Look at verse 1. I'll begin there. David says, now that we know what the backstory is, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Nathan the prophet comes along and points out this sin, which uh, Jerry Vine's a pastor. He put it this way. He said, secret sin on earth becomes an open scandal in heaven. Uh, When things are hidden here, God sees it all. The first thing we see is we see David simply giving a confession. In this confession, you, you you see David using three words for sin. This has already shown up in another place in the psalm, but I want to point it out again. He talks about transgressions. He talks about iniquities, and he talks about sin. Three different words, all for, for sin in general. Transgression specifically is, is typically a rebellious action that is intentional and willful. David, when he speaks of his transgressions, he says, I know my transgressions. He knows that he has broken them. For example, you can go right down the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. David took the life of Uriah. You should not commit adultery. David slept with Bathsheba. You should not steal. He stole another man's wife. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. He lied. You should not covet. He coveted his neighbor's wife. David understood this was a transgression. It is a rebellion against God. He also uses the word iniquity. The word iniquity has the idea of to bend or to twist, maybe even uh, to pervert. Uh, David took a good gift of God and he twisted it. And then the word sin, you've got transgression, you've got iniquity, and then you see sin. Uh, sin is to, to miss the mark, to, to, to not be in the way of the Lord. Remember Psalm chapter 1 talked about, Blessed is the man who walks in the way of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Well, in this case, David is admitting, he is confessing, I'm, I'm not delighting in the law of the Lord. In fact, I'm twisting and I'm missing the mark totally. In this passage, he says, against you, you only have I sinned. It's interesting as we read the story, you could on the one hand say, well, well, David sinned against Uriah. He sinned against this person. Perhaps he sinned against the entire nation by being a bad leader. I think all those things are true. But one thing that David begins to understand is that, no, 
when I've sinned against you or when you've sinned against me, we've also sinned against God. He asked God that God blot out his sin. That is to, to remove or wipe clean my slate. Remember that when you look at the New Testament and you look at what Christ did for you, you and I on the cross, Christ paid a debt that we owed. Christ, as we place our faith in him, what does he do? He forgives our sins. He wipes our slate clean. And David is saying that at this point in his life, he knows that his slate is not clean and he needs to confess these things to God. He's saying to to blot it out. He's saying to wash me. He says, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. It's a stain that needs to be laundered. Dirt that needs to be removed by washing. David understands that he needs to confess before the Lord. This is where David stood. He recognizes that he has violated God's standing. It's interesting in my own life, and maybe you can identify with this too, what, what I can do very easily, and what, what I, I've done counseling over the years as a pastor, what, what happens a lot of times is it's very easy to feel better about myself if I just simply compare myself to someone who's way worse than me. You ever notice that? You can always find somebody who's worse than you. It's like no matter what I do, no matter what I do, and my wife Cheryl lets me have it about it, I can always think, but there's some really sorry husbands out there who do some horrible things. I'm a lot better than them. Amen. And I will share with you, if, if, if your goal is just to sort of feel better about yourself, all you've got to do is find somebody out there who's more wicked than you. It's probably not that hard. I don't know what all of you've done. I mean, y'all don't know what I've done. But I can only imagine that if you do a little Google search and you could find somebody who's horrible and who's, you know, done more worse things than you, and you'll feel good. But that's not what David does. Because David is setting an example for us, and I believe it is this, that it is not so much, I'm not going to solve this problem by just comparing myself to someone else. The comparison we have is God himself and his perfection and what he's told us in his word. And what David is doing is David is saying, Lord, I'm going to confess where I have failed you. I'm not going to use my power as king. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to confess. My encouragement to all of us is if we're going to be right with God, it's not going to happen by us going, well, at least I'm not like this person. At least I'm not doing that. It is for us to honestly, gut-wrenchingly go before God and say, God, I am here to confess my sin to you. Number two is this. Not only did he confess, you have confession, but then very simply, you have forgiveness. This is the principle that's all through the Bible. 1 John 1, 9 very simply says it, right? If, if we confess our sins, what? He is faithful and just to Forgive us, yes, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you look at David's idea of forgiveness, go back and look at verse 5. David understands he has a very great need for forgiveness. In verse 5 he says, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Uh, When you look at that and you look at the context of Scripture as a whole, what David is trying to say is, is that that's, that concept is throughout Scripture that all of us are born into sin. Not, he's not trying to say that specific act was sinful. He's trying to say that I was born a sinner. 
let me ask you a question. Did you have to teach your children how to be bad? Did you teach them, did you have to teach them how to do bad stuff? Or did you kind of have to teach them how to be good? I remember being taught how to be good. Nobody ever said, hey, here's how you go hit your sister or fight your brother. They didn't tell me that. They would tell me how to be good. We all have an innate, thank the Lord, none of us, were, our children weren't as bad as they could be all the time. I know that's not the case because we're all kind of here. We survived each other, whether it be your parents or you survived your own children and, and we're all, or some of us are still plugging along. But thank the Lord, none of us are necessarily as bad as we possibly can be all the time. But David is making a point that this forgiveness is needed because Romans said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us has a need for forgiveness. David is simply pointing that out in verse 5. He says, yeah, I, I was born a sinner. And then he talks about being purged with hyssop, being washed away. This, this word for the, for, the, for the word, purge me with hyssop. That's what the English Standard Version says in verse 7, purge me with hyssop. It, it has to, it's, it's the same root as the Hebrew word for sin. It's the same root that he uses earlier in the text when he says sin. That Hebrew word is the same. It's almost like David is asking God to descend him. To, to un, he's saying, God, purge me with hyssop. God, I want you to unsend me. Because I have sin in me, I'm asking you to unsend me, to, to descend me. The hyssop is a plant. It's a, it's a leafy sort of a shrub. It was used as a brush to sprinkle and splatter blood in rituals of purification in the temple. Lepers in particular would come before a priest and go through such a ceremony. David is using this picture. I wish I had a hyssop so I could show you. To, to take this and to brush, he's asking God to completely forgive him of his sin. We haven't read this passage yet, but I invite you to pick back up in Psalm 51, verse 10, this idea of forgiveness. Look at what he says. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a, a right spirit within me. Uh, cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. David is beginning to understand that his confession leads to forgiveness. That's who God is. God is one who loves us. God is one who has provided a way of salvation. And for those of us who are Christians, you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. He wants you and I to continually to have a right relationship with him. That is why it's important for us to keep this text in mind. Because on a regular basis, we should be thinking, what do I need to confess? Because God is so good to forgive. Meaning God is so good to keep us in right relationship with him so that we continue to grow. Confession, forgiveness. And then number three is simply, I call it restoration. When you, when you see this passage, look at, look at verse 12. Look at what he says. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He says, uphold me with a willing spirit. And this is interesting, verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Uh, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Again, he's already talked about that idea of white as snow. He restores us. This restoration, I believe, if you look at these verses, it'll lead us to do a couple of things. 
It'll lead us to teach others. Verse 13, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. That doesn't mean now that I've got my life straightened out, I'm just going to point at all y'all and show you how bad you are. That is not what he's saying. Matthew 7 says something about judging not, right? But the principle is that as I am cleansed, I will teach others. I will be an example to others. Because everything in our life, as we are on our own journey, as we come across each other, guess what? I hope and pray that I'm closer to the Lord because I meet you. I hope and pray that you're closer to the Lord because you meet me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Restoration will lead us to do that. How many of the testimonies that you've heard over the years about people whose lives have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, what happens is they share their testimony. They're sharing a great blessing of how maybe they went through hardships, maybe they went through trials, or maybe they used to be this, but now they're this. What are they doing? They're being restored, and they are simply sharing so that other people will be taught the ways of the Lord. Restoration will also lead us to worship. It's difficult to worship a God when we know our, we have guilt in our life. But confession, which leads to forgiveness, which leads to restoration, the natural result to be a, a praise. David talks about the joy of salvation. He even talks about his mouth will declare your praise. That sounds like singing to me in verse uh, Verse 15, he talks about the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. This relationship, as it is sweet, as it is right, it will lead us to praise in restoration. And then look at the last two verses. Do good in Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Restoration will allow God to build you. Restoration will allow God to guide you. This week, as we, I hope you take some time to think about Ash Wednesday, to think about this concept of repentance and confession. Can we be restored? And can the joy of our salvation be restored? Are you here today and maybe we need to take time to confess to the Lord and receive that forgiveness afresh and anew? And be restored. My hope and my prayer is that that's what we're able to do with God's word today. I invite you to pray with me. And in just a moment, we'll have Jacob Spring. They'll come back and, uh, and close our service out with uh, one more song of worship. Restoration leads you to worship. I hope we can close our time out with worship of the Lord. In preparation for this week. In preparation to be right with God as he forgives us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to pray with David, creating us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us. God, keep us close to your presence, and may we be filled with your Holy Spirit. I pray for us this week as we ponder our own relationship with you. I pray that we, like the old song says, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me standing in the need of confessing my sins and finding forgiveness and finding restoration in you so that I can serve and honor and glorify you. God bless our congregation this week. God, for all the challenges that may come up this week, the trials, circumstances, I pray that our people's restoration would lead them and would strengthen them because you're with them. 
And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.